And welcome to the Bleacher Connection with your host, Ken and Trevor, a part of Unhinged Radio and Belly Up Sports. Make sure to check them out on Twitter at Radio Unhinged and at Belly Up Sports. Also make sure to check out bellyupsports.com to find all the great podcasts and articles from the network. As always, you can find us on social media. On Twitter, Trevor's at the BleacherCon1. I'm at the BleacherCon2. And our Facebook page, the Bleacher Connection Podcast. Make sure to check out our Twitter bios and our link tree to find all the links to our partners like Dr. Squatch, as well as our merch page. Trevor, how you doing on this fine day? I'm doing pretty good, Ken. How about yourself? Uh, not too bad. A little busy. Work's keeping me uh, running around. So outside of that, it's it's sunny, but it's cold. So I will, yeah. I will take the sun even with the cold. We got a little bit of a reprieve in the Calgary area yesterday. It was zero. And so every every highway and road was melting and sloppy and, and gushy and mushy and gross and and while that lasted about one day, we're back to uh, freezing cold temperatures today and for the rest of the week. Uh, getting ready for Christmas, finished up the last of the shopping. I know my last couple of gifts for the family are en route as we speak, trying to avoid uh, going to the busy malls right now for obvious reasons. But you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to you know getting to see some family I haven't got to see in a long time over the Christmas break and you know maybe... Have it slow down a little bit at work, get to put my feet up a little bit, relax, not be so hectic. It's uh, one of my favorite times of the year. I know my kids are going crazy. They're, uh, they can't wait. And you know, just be nice to have a semi-normal Christmas, I guess you could say. Yeah. Still not normal, but nor- more normaler, if you can call it that, <laughs> if that's such a word, as in the last couple of years. So kind of kind of excited about that. Yeah, it's nice. We we got some family visits in at the beginning of the month here, and uh, I know as the as Christmas Day approaches, we'll be FaceTiming and Zooming with others, and you know most of my our family lives back in BC, so a little bit harder to get together, but definitely do thanks to technology makes it a little bit easier. So yeah, absolutely. It uh, last year actually for Boxing Day, it's a tradition in my house. We always have games it's games day as some of you may not know ken and i are both big uh, board gamers card gamers we love playing games and it's become a tradition that we always do that at my house on boxing day for whoever in my family wants to and well last year we we did it over zoom we did and it was um different to say the least but it was kind of a unique experience uh, unfortunately this year just going to be some immediate family again for obvious reasons but I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I you know I, it, to me, the family is important and playing games is such an important part of my life. It's an important part of your life. And I'm just, I'm looking forward to that and getting to see some people I don't get to see very often. And, and uh, a little bit of face-to-face this year It uh, for some unknown reasons here in Alberta, they lifted restrictions as opposed to tightening. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but that's a head scratcher there. I'm yeah, yeah, that. exactly. But anyways, on today's show, it's kind of going to be a, what did I call it off air, Ken? A hodgepodge, potpourri, mass headlines kind of show. There's been so much happened in the last, I'm going to say kind of even one to two weeks that it's like we, we came up with a bunch of headlines that we wanted to touch on. Whether it's in the CFL, we had the Grey Cup recently. There's some news coming out of the league, free agency. 
we got lots of NHL talk. I know you and I don't want to talk COVID. Unfortunately, it's just, it's, it, it's impossible. Kind of the Olympics, uh, Major League Baseball, we, we haven't had a chance to talk about some of the significant moves around the Blue Jays and around baseball. Urban Meyer, that, that is, that's a show on its own that we're going to briefly touch on. We're not the biggest uh, uh, college and, and NFL guys, so we'll touch on it because it's just craziness, if you ask me. Maybe some NBA talk, maybe some NFL. There's just been so much shit happened in the last week or so that we're going to touch on what we can. So it's just going to be a little bit of all over everywhere. And again, this is another one of those shows, Ken. We're just kind of going to shoot the breeze about it. We haven't really, we've come up with a few topics and we're just going to let it roll. That's, that's kind of the way we like to do it. It's very off the cuff and non-scripted let's say it's it's going to be our true feelings as we talk about it so I, i'm looking forward to it yeah it's uh like you say the gray cup happened and we've been wanting to talk about the cfl uh even before that because we had our playoff prediction show with zach Kalman of the gridiron gallery and well i mean i know for myself outside of you know your stamps kind of screwing me in the west semifinal, i that was my only only blemish through to uh picking the winner of the gray cup it, it took a little extra time but i i was right so yeah i actually also only had one blemish in my playoff predictions i uh i picked the argos over the tie cats to get to the gray cup and but i did pick the well we all did we successfully picked the winnipeg blue bombers to win the gray cup it was a little touch and go there for a while yeah, uh, the that only was. Game, yeah the only game i got wrong was the argos tie cats i actually picked the riders to beat the stampeders and they got that remember when i said there's this kind of magic around mosaic stadium and and it was gonna bite the the stampeders well it did like that was i gotta go back a few weeks i'm not convinced the best team actually won that game Didn't the stampeders throw... yeah Fajardo throw like four or five interceptions but to the, like wasn't four to the same guy pretty much <laughs> like, yeah, like... Yeah, that's it, unbelievable. One Renny Paredes, Mr. Automatic, oh. missed three field goals. And it's like, it was just this kind of like craziness of, uh, and I kind of, there was this, this checklist of things that the Stampeders did wrong at the start of the season. It was kind of like a checklist. Every game they would do this, and it was, you know, miss a field goal or shoot themselves in the foot on special teams or you know, a turnover on downs or a bad turnover at the wrong time or fumble a punt. And it was just like, that happened, that happened, that happened. And it was like, every time we had a chance to put the game away, we did something stupid. And it was just like, ah, so, but whatever it was, it was, it was a very entertaining game in general, Ken, the CFL playoffs were very entertaining this year. Yeah, that they were. I mean, Montreal got Trevor Harris and uh, based on, we'll get to the, their their news he will have a new home next season that is possibly maybe who possibly because it's tough to say with the number of teams that don't need a quarterback so yeah i really enjoyed the playoffs um for what i saw my i well i didn't see the east and west final i was uh spending some quality time with family and but honestly when it comes to family i'd rather do that than you know you were very nice to keep me updated through text with what was going on, but um, the playoffs were good. There was no, I don't think there any letdown from what I did see. I went back and watched highlights later and 
caught pieces of the games on replay, but it was good football. There was no disappointing games where sometimes, and this is why I'm a CFL fan in the NFL, you get those somewhat disappointing playoff games. And uh, so far I got to give full kudos to the CFL for giving us a, a, a good season this year. Some of the teams like my team didn't do so well, but it was still a good year and I enjoyed watching CFL as I always do. Yeah. In the regular season, the entertainment value was down a little bit. The scoring was down the playoffs more than made up for it. Whoever said the CFL is boring and has an entertainment problem clearly needed to watch the CFL playoffs, but the only somewhat dud of a game was the East semifinal where the tie cats ended up rolling over the Alouettes. But early on in that game, the Alouettes were by far the better team and they settled for field goals. The, the, the finals, like the East and West final were both really good games in the East. Toronto got up early in the first half. I think they were up, I think it was 12, nothing or something at the half Toronto settled for like three very short field goals, like 10 yard field goals. They were down on the three yard line. And you just kind of knew that was going to come back to haunt them. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Hamilton was doing nothing. And out of nowhere, they get this punt return touchdown, which is something you get a ton of in the CFL, is special teams making a significant difference in a game. The Ticats got this punt return touchdown, and then all of a sudden, they couldn't be stopped. And it was just a parade to the Argonaut end zone after that. And the Argos had no answer. But it was kind of mid to late third quarter and the fourth quarter, the the Ticats did this amazing comeback. And then there was some shenanigans after the game. Unfortunately, there's some uh, Toronto coach lost his job for some uh, fighting with fans and slurs. Well, not so much. Yeah, and and rightfully so. I mean, I I get and I was going to call this the fifth quarter of that game. Uh, (laughs) The, the fact that, yeah, like he lost his job, but you got to keep your cool. I could get, I get when you got people coming at you, throwing things and like maybe getting heated and involved a little bit, but when you start throwing around the slurs and things like that, that's where you cross the line and you really have no defense. That's a choice. Like you're not defending yourself at that point in time because it was at BMO. It was at their field. It was the visiting fans throwing things and being verbal and physical and, and getting into it with the players. So I get the being defensive and getting involved, even, even for the players. I, we've said this before, and I'll say it again. Buying a ticket does not give you the freedom to do or say whatever you want to the players without repercussion. If you throw things at players, if you get physical with players, they're going to give it back. And unless you are a professional boxer, professional MMA, you know, whatever, you're going to lose that. And when it comes down to it, you have no leg to stand on if you're the one starting it. Because there are people that will start things with athletes, celebrities, whoever, for the notoriety and to try and get some money out of it, maybe. You're going to lose. Like, Just don't do it. Yeah. That was a very disappointing uh, event at the football game but how often have we seen that this year since sports have come back fights in the stands at baseball games at basketball games at nfl games yeah it happens way too often 
why can we not just go to a game and enjoy it without there having to be a fist fight with fans or with players? Like totally it, it just puts a black eye on everything and no one is in the, in the right when that happens. So, you know, it's tough for the players. They just lose a game. You got stuff being chucked at you. It, grow up people. Come on. Yes. So Ken went on a little tangent there. Rightfully so. That was a bit of a black eye for the league and for the players. I'm going to get quickly go back to talking about the playoffs. The East final, very good game. Black eye at the end of the game, unfortunately. Not a good look for the league. People have lost their jobs. I think there might be some players that could be in some big time trouble as well. I'm going to jump back to the West final, the Blue Bombers versus the Rough Riders. This is one of the craziest games I have seen all year. The Blue Bombers managed to overcome six or seven turnovers, including two turnovers early that took touchdowns off the board that essentially would have, the game would have been over in the first quarter had these turnovers not happened. It, it probably could have been, you know, 14, 21, nothing bombers in the first quarter. And yet the Riders came out ahead and all game. It was like the bombers were taking it to them, taking it to them, turn over the ball. Riders doing nothing. Take it to them, take it, turn over the ball. And then the bombers would score a TD. And then I don't know where the Riders would score a TD. It was just like, what is going on? It was like, you almost felt like it was destined that the Rough Riders were meant to get to the Great Cup after the week before against Calgary, what was happening. The end of the game, though, fourth quarter, the Bombers pulled it out. They they showed why they were the best team in the West Division, and they ultimately showed why they were the best team in the CFL. When it mattered, they got it done. Great Cup, same kind of thing. It was early on, it was the Bombers show. Then it was the Cat show. Then it was nobody's show. Nobody could do anything. Like the defenses took turn, turn standing on their heads, playing just ridiculously good football. Just fly into the ball, tackles, turnovers. It was low scoring first half. I think, what was it, like 10 10 or something? Like it was really low scoring. It was low. Yeah, it was a yeah, low scoring. First game. half. And then the, the third quarter and fourth quarter, there's was, there was a very stiff wind. And all of a sudden, it was kind of like both teams figured out how to play against with, with the breeze and the tie cats went out in the third quarter and ended up getting a 12 point lead heading into the fourth quarter. And really the bombers had nothing going on. You thought the game was over. All of a sudden they switch ends and the tie cats are going into the wind and the bombers are going with the wind. And all of a sudden it was a complete 360 or 180 story. And it was like, the bombers were unstoppable and then they score a couple touchdowns, get up. And it was, I was like, Oh my God, this is crazy. And then late in the game that we need to talk about this, Ken bombers up two, they kick it off minute and a half left in the game. The tie cat player fields the potter feels the kickoff, takes a knee in the end zone for the single point makes it a three point game. Ken, was that the right decision? Because ultimately, it looks like it might have cost the Thai Cats that single point. May have cost the Thai Cats the Great Cup because they drove the field and kicked a field goal to tie. Did it cost them the Great Cup? I believe so because I think what it did, it put the Bombers, and I'm trying to remember because I remember I thought the Thai Cats were up at that time. They were down. They, they were, were down. down two. 
And then when the guy took the, the knee in the end zone and put them down three, I think it was 20, 24, 21, I want to say. Yeah. And then they drove the field and kicked the field goal. So, and then that gave, but it gave the bombers a chance to come back and stay within it. The, it's a tough call. Like some are saying it's the right call and I'm looking at it and going, I don't know. You, you fielded that you took the knee and there's a picture I saw just a couple of days ago where the, the it's taken further back. There isn't a bomber even near the 30 yard line when he takes the knee. So you're, you're telling me you can't run it out 15, 20 yards. Yeah. You might not, you might get a 10 yard punt, but you also might take it downfield a little bit further with some, you know, with mostly running plays to get it further away from your end zone and potentially stop the bombers on their next possession. If you don't, I, I, I think it was a very questionable call. I don't think I would have done it. It's the gray cup. And if you're going to play safe, you're going to lose. And they did. Yeah. Cause the rule in the Canadian football league is if on the kickoff, if you take a knee, you give up a single point and you get the ball on 35 yard line, I believe it's out 30 or 35. They, the, the, the kick returner chose the field position as opposed to running it out and maybe getting it to the 20, 25 yard line. So realistically they gave up a point to put the bombers up three over maybe 10 to 15 yards of field position. Ultimately, the Ticats successfully drove the ball down the field. And with 10 seconds left, a Ticat actually dropped a winning touchdown, a Grey Cup winning touchdown pass. A Tiger Cat receiver, now the ball was slightly tipped, dropped a winning Grey Cup touchdown oh, pass. It hit, him it, was, hit, hit. it hit both hands. I believe it was Acklin. Hit both hands. Like, that guy's got to be having nightmares. So the the the... Blue Bombers, or the Blue Bombers, or the Ticats end up settling for a tying field goal with like 10 seconds left in the game, as opposed to what would have been a game-winning field goal because of that single point. I highly questioned it. I When it happened, I, I got up under my chair and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you for 10 yards of field position, you gave up that single point that ended up being the difference between going to overtime or kicking a field goal to win the gray cup. And then in overtime, the bombers just showed it three plays. They're in the end zone. No problems at all. Touchdown. They, in this Canadian football league, you then have to go for two. They convert it wide open guy. Like the bombers just ran, I think four plays in overtime and they were all crisp big gainers. Like say we're winning the effing gray cup with these four plays so crisp. It was championship football. The Ticats then have to respond. And it was just the story of the Ticats. They've been to four great cups in the last 10 years. I believe they've lost them all. Buffalo Bills-esque. They find ways to lose. And Ticats get the ball back. Holding on the first offensive play. They run out. They, they got like 15 yards. No, take it back. 10-yard penalty. And it was just so tie cat esque. It was like I, I felt so bad for them. And then the next play, interception, game over. It was just championship football and over our heads football in in the overtime. Congrats to the Blue Bombers. They were the best team in the CFL this year. They fully deserved it. 
they took home all the hardware at the awards. Zach yep. Claros, most valuable player. Uh, Adam Big Hill, defensive player of the year. Coach O'Shea, coach of the year. There was one more. I can't remember who it was now. Every major award went to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the, the biggest award of them all, the Grey Cup. Rightfully so, went to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Yeah, the only questionable thing, I mean, it was a back and forth game. And to me, I don't think there was really anyone that stood out in the in the end. And Zach Claris was the game MVP after being named the MLP of the season. Um, I don't know, though. I don't know if he was necessarily the best player on the field. Was, I, no one really st- stood out. But when you look at it, I mean, Sergio Castillo's name's littered all over the uh, the score sheet here that I'm looking at. You know, he had to make a 45-yarder to make it 24-22 um, uh, Winnipeg. And that's where, yeah, because he then kicked off from that. And that's when the single point made it 25-22. And, yeah, there was actually two kickoffs with no return that he got the single on. Yep. It made it 22 21 um, for Hamilton. And then he kicked a field goal to make it 24 22. And then they gave up another one. So, yeah, like Sergio Castillo had a hell of a game. Now, if only, you know, it's a good thing they picked him up from BC, who had nothing but kicking problems this year. Uh, so, I question that decision, but. Alas, that's for another show. You know, what did you think? Who would you, who would you have picked for MVP of the Grey Cup? I, to be honest, I don't know. Like, it, there was no standout performance. And one of the storylines heading into, and I liked your angle there on Sergio Castillo, one of the storylines heading into the Grey Cup was both teams had just horrific field goal kicking all season. Like, I think the Blue Bombers were in the 60% range of made field goals for the season. And that's, that's unbelievably bad. And Sergio Castillo overcame that in the great cup. And I think he ended up kicking three field goals. He had two singles. He was a major difference, including the 45 yarder with howling winds late in the game to put the bombers up. Like when he lined up for that kick, it was almost like as a semi bomber follower, it was like, here we go again. Tough kick. The guy's going to miss it. It's been their Achilles heel all year. And it's going to cost them the great cup. Not right down the middle. It was money kick. So I came in to fix their problems. So like he, he he was a late, late season addition. And it was because of for how bad the lions were. I was shocked when they said that the blue bombers were the worst team. Now they used to have, his name is completely slipped my mind right now, but they used to have a money kicker in Winnipeg. And he's not there anymore. And it shows. Was it Harulahu who was there? No, he was in Hamilton. Yeah. He had the, the low, small chin bar. Um, yeah, I bring him up. I can't remember his name. It's been, I know exactly who you're talking yeah. about. I didn't... But they, they used to have great field goal kicking. He was there Medlock. last year. Yes, Justin Medlock. And he's not there this year. And it shows. It really shows. So y- you win and lose with your kickers. The Lions didn't make the playoffs because of their field goal kicking. Somehow the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, just because they're that good of a team, were able to take 
extremely piss poor field goal kicking and still win the, the yeah. Grey Cup. So I it, guess uh, back to your to your original question of who should have won the MOP or of the game. Zach Caleros got it done when he needed to. He in the fourth quarter and overtime essentially engineered three touchdown drives in a row to seal the the game for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in the Grey Cup. He wasn't very good up until then, but when it mattered, the MOP of the league got it done and engineered touchdown drives. I got no issue with it going to Claros. Castillo would be a close runner-up. Uh, the guy who had two interceptions early in the game, unfortunately, the Hamilton player, unfortunately, they didn't win or else he probably would have got it. I want to kind of move away from the Grey Cup and now on to the offseason. There are a ton of free agents in the CFL because of COVID wiping out the 2020 season. Those contract years still kind of came off the books. Every pretty much 60% of the league was playing on a one-year contract this year. And the amount of free agents in heading into the league, this is insane. Look at Hamilton, Dane Evans and Jeremiah Mazzoli. Both of their quarterbacks are free agents. This is going to be potentially, in my opinion, an unprecedented offseason. It really is. Like, you could see some big names switching teams. I look at my Calgary Stampeders. They have, like, 40 free agents of a roster of 50-ish. Like, it is, it is crazy the amount of player movement we're going to see this offseason. It's exciting, but it's also really bad, in my opinion, for the league and it is. for fans. You can't, it, it is so hard in the Canadian Football League to get a, like, consistency of your players. You, you don't have players playing on teams for 10, 15 years anymore. There, It seems like every two years you're, you're switching up. And how do you kind of get attached to players when there's so many free agents? Yeah. Is it exciting to see guys like Evans and Mazzoli, you know, great quarterbacks available? Yeah, but... There's just, I don't know. I'm worried. I, I, as a fan of this league, it really worries me, the player movement. I used to think player movement was sexy and fun, but we just saw this three off seasons ago when essentially the entire league was free agents. And, you know, there was rumors of Bo Levi Mitchell going to Toronto and Trevor Harris ended up going to Edmonton along with Greg Ellings. Like we just saw this two or three years ago where the entire league was free agents. And now we're seeing it again something's got to give here well there's over there's like 315 or 320 players that are free agents that's more than what is signed to current rosters right now and the average per team free agent list sits at about 35 35 to 38 it's absolutely insane now as a fan standpoint we've already talked about the merchandising being ridiculous and how much it costs to get a Jersey done up. Are you going to go spend the money, spend 220 some odd dollars plus shipping to get a Vernon Adams, Montreal Alouettes Jersey when he just signed as free agency opened a two year deal. Your starting quarterback gets a two year deal. That Jersey is going to net you $110 per season if he leaves at the end of year two, right? As a fan, how frustrating is that? You spend your money 
to get a jersey of a your favorite player on your team, and they're gone in a season. Anyone lucky Whitehead is a free agent. So if you got a you, Whitehead jersey this season, it may be a one-year deal. And that would be that's for me as a BC Lions fan, that would be so disappointing because he had a great season and added so much more to that BC offense. It it, it is a problem within the league. If there there's a problem, Eugene Lewis, one of the yeah, top receivers in the game, one-year deal in Montreal as well. Like you can't force a team to say, hey, you need to start handing out, you know, minimum five-year contracts because it doesn't work that way. But the only guys that seem to get long-term deals or stick around on the team is your offensive lineman or defensive lineman. So if you want to get a long-term jersey, get an O lineman or D lineman jersey, and you're probably good there. Yeah, go get a Willie Jefferson jersey. <laughs> yeah. The the change in the league is what I would kind of maybe agree gives it a Mickey Mouse look. When you don't have any consistency in your rosters and so much movement, like how do you expect to keep up with the league when you turn on a game and you go like, whoa, hold on. I thought he was still with this team. When did he go to this? Like, how did this happen? It's not an, a football thing because you look at the NFL and there is long-term deals given out to players all the time. Now, football is a sport where, sure, you can sign a five, six, 25-year deal and get cut after three weeks and they don't got to pay you. But at least those deals are being signed and give some resemblance of consistency to a lineup versus what you're getting in the CFL, where you can sign a two-year deal and get cut off, cut after three weeks. Well, I, I look at my team, the Calgary Stampeders. Our three biggest offensive weapons, Kadeem Carey, Reggie Bagleton, Kamala Jordan, are all free agents. Our quarterback only has one year left, Bo Levi Mitchell. That may be a good thing. That's another show. But I, I, you look around the league, how many of these guys? I already mentioned the two quarterbacks in Hamilton. You got Trevor Harris. What happens with Michael Riley in BC? There's Lucky Whitehead you just brought up. The, the Bombers, Zach Caleros is a free agent. Like every, it feels like every major weapon in the league is a free agent. Sure, it's exciting if your team goes and makes a splash and brings them all in, but I don't know. It, it's just, it's very unsettling to know from year to year who's going to be on your team. And you brought up buying a jersey. I haven't bought a Stampeders jersey with a name on it since i bought john cornish in 2013 i believe it was i that was the last time i bought one with a name on it because i it feels like every year these players leave and even john cornish his, his career got derailed by injuries he was only really around for about four seasons five seasons and i've yet to do one since i i didn't get a bo levi mitchell one because Two years ago, I was afraid that he was going to leave to the NFL. I didn't get a Reggie Bagleton one. Reggie Bagleton is one of my favorite receivers in Stampeders history, yet he's been in and out of the team, gone to the NFL, came back for two games, might be gone again. Like, it's just so – there's no consistency, and it makes it really hard to kind of get that personal feeling with an attachment to the players. So, yeah, it's, it is a problem. I want to well, look like, at some other stories around the league. Sorry, Ken, to cut you off on that. 
Edmonton, Chris Jones. Rumor is the man with the motorbike might be back running the show in Edmonton after just a few seasons, pretty much giving him the big FU and, and leaving them. Is that the right move for the Elks? I, I'm not a Chris Jones supporter. This guy has a shelf life of about two years where before he gets tired of where he's coaching and he moves from team to team. I, I, I don't think it's the right move for the Elks. Ken, what about you? No, I'm not a Chris Jones fan. And I mean, he wants to go in. I know the Elks are interviewing. They've got permission to interview some people like one from the BC lions from Hamilton and other places. But the rumors are that Chris Jones wants to be the man in Edmonton. He wants to be the head coach. He wants to be the GM. And you're right. He has a shelf life. He spurred them to go to Saskatchewan. He went there. He signed a new contract with Saskatchewan. And then shortly after that, right before training camp said, Ooh, I'm going to go take this head coaching job at a high school down in the States. Peace. I'm out. Like he just walked away and left the team in lurch to me. That's not a guy I want as a leader who you got to be walking on eggshells so that he doesn't bolt on you. And to me, that's just, I don't know. I Does he know football? Sure. Is he the right guy to he, lead? Does yeah. he know? Like, he was in Calgary as a defensive coordinator, bolted on the Stampeders. He had one of the best. He was with the Stampeders. Of course he had a good team. He bolted on us, I believe, to go to the Toronto Argonauts to stay there for a year or two, then moved to Edmonton to be the man, gets there, he led Edmonton to a great cup. I'll give him credit there. But he was only there for a couple of years, then bolted to the Riders, had nothing but his tenure in, in Regina was, remember they had all the scandals with the, the players, like having illegal rosters and yeah. all that stuff, bending the rules. He was under fire in Regina. Then didn't he piss off to be like a defensive assistant for the Cleveland Browns and then ended up at yeah, yeah. a high school in somewhere in the United States. Pittsburgh, and, I think. Somewhere in Pittsburgh. And then he bolted on them to become like a defensive assistant for the Toronto Argonauts. This like this guy has no loyalty. How could you go? And this has all happened in like 10 years. He oh, well, he has loyalty. It's called to the mighty dollar. Yeah, it's like. How can the Elks look at this guy and go, yeah, that's our long-term solution? No, it's not. This guy has a history of bolting. And the first time he gets an opportunity to say bye, he will. So I I think they're barking up the wrong tree there. I I don't like Chris Jones. I don't like what he's done to our league. Everybody thinks he's a, a this like amazing football mind. I don't see it. I really, really don't see it. Yeah, it's uh, it would almost be as good as going back to Danny Machocha, <laughs> <laughs> Barney Rubble. Yeah, yeah. I so, it's it's the, it's going to be an exciting franchise needs, Yeah, yes. the elk franchise needs to be fixed, and I don't know that that's the way to do it. You're not bringing what I would say is a better culture to the Elks by bringing in Chris Jones. You just you hit the nail on the head right there. The, the Elks need consistency. Like it's been so tumultuous the last couple of seasons, especially with what's come out about Sunderland. And even before that, there wasn't there Ed Herbie, there was issues there. Like it, 
that franchise needs consistency and you're looking at Chris Jones to provide you consistency. Mr. Stable. I'm sorry. There, there's no stability there. I would, I would turn a blind eye to that one and say, see, I'm not a chance. Yeah. Yeah. But look elsewhere, it, Edmonton. Exactly. But it is going to be an exciting off season. There is going to be player movement. Player movement is fun. It is sexy, but like we just said, I don't think it's good for the league. Well, outside of our team, well, outside of our teams, you could see a brand new starting quarterback. Well, maybe not Winnipeg, even though Zach Claris is uh, a free agent. Almost every starting quarterback is a free agent outside of Bo Levi Mitchell and Mike Riley, Michael Riley. But you just said outside of our teams. I'm not convinced that either the Stampeders or the uh, BC Lions are not potentially looking at other QB alternatives. Michael Riley had a terrible season. Bo Levi Mitchell had a terrible season. How can you say outside of our two teams? Well, they're signed. I think they very well, sure they're signed, but I think that they very well could be looking for, if Dane Evans ended up with the Calgary Stampeders this offseason, I would not be shocked if there was this time to move on or if Bo Levi Mitchell ends up with the Toronto Argonauts for a year. Like, I would not be shocked if there is like, crazy crazy quarterback carousel this offseason well and don't don't forget to throw chris strebler's name in there because apparently ottawa wants him yeah well he's not a starting cfl quarterback but that's that's just my opinion <laughs> that's red black uh par for the course though but even with the offseason ken here in the cfl i do have a feeling there's going to be a lot to talk about there's already news coming from I... randy ambrosi are we going to four down football oh yeah. my god well that I want to, I want to bark. I, I didn't bitch and complain about the schedule last season because, uh, or this past season, because of what it was, I accepted it. And I'm, I was just glad there was football, but the CFL has, before we get into the rule stuff has released the schedule and I will this time complain about it because they've added more divisional games. Why? Why? I'm sorry, but there's only nine teams you play enough weeks that everybody could play everyone at least twice. The Elks, I was looking at their schedule because I live in Edmonton and I want to see BC. Well, BC and Edmonton played three times this year. And for whatever stupid reason, yet again, Edmonton goes to BC twice, which is what they did this season and had zero home games against BC. So this year you give BC two home games against Edmonton and one for the Elks. The Elks only face the Argos once. How are you building the league by not showcasing every team in every city at least once? To me, that makes zero sense. You play enough games to get every team into every city. Why are you not doing that? Yeah, I, I the same kind of situation is happening with the Calgary Stampeders as well. In an 18-game season, we play the Edmonton Elks four times this year. We only play the Red Blacks once. The Red Blacks don't come to Calgary this year. I'm sorry, as a season ticket holder, I like seeing all the teams. I didn't get to see Ottawa this year either. I don't get to see them next year. I want to see all the teams. I want to see all the talent from around the league. I only need to see the Elks once or twice. I'm good. I only need to see the Riders once or twice. Twice is probably too much. I don't even see the riders at all for all I could care. The Bombers, I, I want to see them. But 
why do I have to see Calgary play Edmonton four times? Calgary plays BC on our home schedule three times, one of them being a preseason game. But still, I'm getting BC Lions in town three times in Calgary this year. I'm getting Edmonton twice, yet I don't get Ottawa. I just, I, I can kind of attest to what you're saying. It just, I know they want to try to get the, the rivalries. They're already rivalries. Yeah, they you don't exist. need to try to, the Calgary-Edmonton rivalry is there. The Calgary-BC rivalry is there. You don't need to try to grow them. They're already there. So, yeah, I can I, – I feel what you're saying there. Yeah, I, I wasn't going to complain about it this past season because we just wanted football. But the, for a league that wants to grow and get new fans in, showcase the league, man. Show it off so that everyone can see the talent and the players from around the league. Because there are free agency. There's going to be player movement. If your favorite player – moves from say Calgary to Toronto yet again. Do you want to see the Argos come to town so you could see that player in live in person and still cheer on your Stampeders? If your favorite BC Lion moves from them to Ottawa, you want to see Ottawa come into town so you can see your favorite player and your favorite team. It it's just a bad look. Yeah, I agree. Speaking of bad looks, uh let's let's talk about Randy Ambrosi. Pretty much during Grey Cup week, did nothing but potentially fuel the fire that the Canadian Football League might still go to four downs. I thought we were through all this when the kind of the XFL talk from earlier in the offseason last year kind of died out and maybe not. I'm, I don't know what to say about this. Like, I love my Canadian Football League, and, and I'll continue to watch. I guess if the Calgary St. Peters is four-down football, I'll watch. I don't know that this is the right play, the right uh, move, the trying to align yourself more with American football fans. I understand that as a marketing strategy, but are you then completely just alienating your already existing fans? I think Ambrosi's walking a tightrope here. And I don't know if it's the right tightrope to be on. There's a, there's a movie about a guy who back in, I think it was the seventies, pretty much did a tightrope walk across the, the twin towers where it very easily could have gone very bad. I feel like Ambrosi's making that walk right now where it could very easily go very bad. I'm worried about where this is going. Yeah. And I will give Randy Ambrose a safety net at about 20 feet from the ground because remember he is the voice of the owners. So he might be given a directive to review everything. Take a look at this. Now, as we've spoken before is the loudest room, loudest voice in the room, MLSE because that's what they want. It's got to be. You got to a lot of people in there that want to grow the game in different ways. And that isn't necessarily uh, through four, four downs. The field structure would have to change. You couldn't keep it at as long as it is. And as wide as it is, you'd have to essentially change your game up to be NFL light. As some people are calling it. I, I want the league to survive. I want the league to strive. I don't want it to change for the sake of change. There's other ways to grow the game. Would I watch a CFL at four downs? Yeah. 
I will too. But there are a lot of people that will not. And that's the problem. Is that going to bring the younger generation in? Probably not. The younger generation wants TikToks and YouTubes and other crap like that. They don't, you need to get a streaming service on CFL.ca to provide the people that watch the games that don't want to pay TSN's ridiculous price for online streaming. They don't want to pay for an entire cable package to watch games. They need to do better at growing it in, in a different way and getting it out to the people. It's stale. It, the, the, the viewership for the Grey Cup was what, 2.8 million? Yeah, I but that, that's misleading though because TSN actually did streaming on it and the streaming numbers were tremendous. The streaming numbers were up like 400% from the year before. And actually with those numbers in, in total, and the, view, the viewership of the Grey Cup was almost 8 million. It was That's actually, awesome. it was very well viewed because they did actually get some streaming. And maybe this will be an aha moment where they go, holy, maybe that is the way for the future. And we need to put more in, into resources into that because 2 million people watched it live on TV, but way more than that streamed it at some point. So I'm hoping that that's kind of a, a moment for the league to go. Yeah, I guess that is the future. And, but again, moving to the four downs, I don't think is they have to appeal to the younger generation. They just have to, there's no question. I don't know how they do it. You saw the NFL try it when they had games on Nickelodeon and try to get the kids in. I think in general football, in general, needs to find a way to appeal to the younger generations. Because I think even the NFL has realized this and is trying some new things because if you don't get the younger kids watching on their platforms, you are in trouble. Yeah. You need good social media content creators to get it done. And that's that's how you're going to draw people in. The league needs to have an entire department of people they don't understand what they're saying because it's new talk, fresh talk, not, you know, the ancient, this is the way we've done it. Um, people that look up at from their phones every 30 seconds to acknowledge you don't say much else because those people are going to drive the league forward out of a standstill. So yes. I would really like to, I mean, I would love to have BC Lions owner Omar Daman on here to hear his thoughts because he came in saying a lot of the right things as a new owner in the league in how he wanted to grow it. So we need owners like that, that are coming in or have been in to start thinking outside the box. Okay. This is how we've done it. How do we do it differently? Totally agree. Ken, we've talked a lot about the CFL. I think actually we ended up talking about it for longer than we expected. There's a ton of other headlines around the league, right? Around sports in general right now that I do want to touch on with you. And the first one being NHL and the Olympics. Ken, if you had to put a percentage on it right now of the players agreeing to go to the Olympics in two months, let's say, what percentage are you putting that at? Three. Three to five. The number of weeks they'd have to quarantine for in China if they got a positive test. I, I, I can't see it being that high. You've already got players within the league right now saying shut it down. 
until after Christmas and others disagreeing. So I think the, the, the number is higher, but I also think that they got to start looking at it and someone has to be the heavy, whether it's the NHL or the NHLPA, someone has to make a decision, but I don't think the odds are very high that they go. So you said three to 5%. Well, that's three to 5% higher than I put it at. You said you thought it was potentially a higher percentage number. No, I think it's lower. I precisely think it is 0%. There is a 0% chance that the NHL players are going to the Olympics. It's not necessarily safe right now. We're in an outbreak. And I know a lot of the players are double backs. Thank God. And, and we're going through a COVID outbreak in the NHL. There's no major illness. Thank God. But you hit the, the point why they will not go. They do not want to quarantine in a hotel in China for three to five weeks and miss out on this restart of the NHL season. Imagine if Connor McDavid went over, caught COVID while he's there, has to stay there for three to five weeks. And imagine if you caught it on the last day. Not yep. the first, not the first day you're there, the last day. You're looking at three weeks to five weeks of him not being in the Edmonton Oilers lineup. The NHL is not going to allow the players to go because that compromises the schedule, that compromises the integrity of the league. They are not going. I all the talks about is Dowdy going to make the Canadian men's Olympic team? No, he's not, because there's not going to be a Canadian men's Olympic team. I'm highly disappointed. I love international best on best hockey. It is some of the best hockey out there. Not happening. Zero percent chance. Let's face it. They need those three weeks right now to make up games that are being postponed like crazy. We've had yes. two days in a row where 50% of the schedule was postponed. That's nine games in two days alone that have been postponed you got to find a time to make these games up. And what's a perfect time to do it? During a three-week international break where you can get your schedule right and come back out of that and continue on. My Calgary Flames pretty much were the start of it. They only have four players on the entire team that have not tested positive. They've been shut down until after Christmas. They're saying December 27th. I still don't even think that's a realistic date. I think you're going to be into the new year. The Calgary Flames, the Boston Bruins, like the Carolina with Carolina Hurricanes. Oh, like, they're still playing. Are they? they oh, yeah, yeah. For some reason, they they're, ton, still, they're playing. still playing. The Edmonton Oilers had like 17 players last night, and they still had like I don't understand what's going on there either. Like some teams, I, I get the Flames. The Flames literally have no players that aren't positive. But why is it the I think the Chicago Blackhawks are shut down, but the Carolina Hurricanes aren't? or the Edmonton Oilers are, or I think the Vancouver Canucks are now. Maybe? They haven't been yet, but like to me, uh, they had one person yesterday go on the list when they were supposed to play Toronto. They had added Tyler Myers, but they had signed uh, Ashton Sautner to a pro contract from an AHL contract. So they could have filled his spot. They could have iced the lineup, but the problem was the Toronto Maple Leafs were waiting in town after playing the Oilers and they had, two guys go down, Tavares and Kerfoot, then Simmons and Spezza, and then someone else, and then Jack Campbell, and then, and then, and then, and then. So I think they got shut down for that reason, but then they also postponed the Canucks versus the Coyotes. So I guess it's because they were they had another positive test and were afraid there was going to be more. 
yeah, at this point, some of the players have said, uh, shut it down until after Christmas. Others are fighting back on it, saying, no, keep playing. At this point in time, he said, you got three weeks to play out, to move this schedule into, because apparently the league told the teams, keep your arenas open during that three-week period, because if we don't go, we want to use that time for potential makeup. So, but everybody's talking about everybody's talking about shutting it down. Here's what I don't understand about that talk. It's not going to get any better anytime soon. Yeah. You either play through it or you don't. Because shutting down for three weeks, it's not going to get any better in three weeks. It's not. And I I don't know what the answer is here. Even if you take a break and come back, it's just going to start all over again because this new wave isn't going anywhere. So to me, the, the real question has to be asked. And I think the NFL has already kind of asked this question. Do we just play through it? And if you're asymptomatic and double vaxxed, does it matter? Do you just play through it? Cause the NFL is looking that way. Yeah. I'm, I don't know how I feel about that, but when it comes to professional sports, that might become the actual question is, are we just comfortable playing through the fact that we have players on the ice, on the field that have COVID they're asymptomatic. Not that it's who cares, but it's, that's kind of the, the, the mentality of, well, if, if they're double vaxxed and not showing symptoms, then does it matter? Like, I don't know what the answer is, but I really think that that's where sports in general is going to go. Cause yeah, you could take a break. It's not going to get any better. You're just going to have these same issues two weeks from now, three weeks from now. I, I don't know. It's either you play through it or you don't play at all because it's not going anywhere. And I don't know what the answer is to that. Yeah, it's tough because they were they hockey night in Canada had a, a doctor on there, uh, who's an infectious disease, or it, this was his area of specialty. And the answer he had was, Don't know. Because look at Brandon Sutter, exactly. Brandon Sutter hasn't stepped on the ice this year because of long COVID. So, he, and I don't know if he was super sick last time or if he was asymptomatic, but I, I think part of the problem is if you're asymptomatic right now. Does that mean there's going to be zero complications down the road? And that's the problem because exactly you, you could say, okay, you're asymptomatic, go ahead. But is that going to create issues down the road? And I think that's where a lot of people are like, uh, just don't know. But we've seen the NHL kick in the heightened restrictions from last year for players on the road and at home uh, as of January 7th. We, we had Montreal show up to the arena uh, to have a game and that morning they said oh yeah the government if the quebec government said yeah no fans so everyone that was planning to go to the game that night went uh well i got my ticket and but they said no fans yeah. so because the, they opened it up so if you were on the road and vaccinated which essentially meant tyler bertuzzi you're stuck in your hotel room um they could go out to restaurants they could go out and do things on the road now it's hotel an arena and you can go for a walk out but that's about it right they've put those restrictions back in place bc has limited the number of fans as has ontario so you're going to see smaller crowds in, in the arenas shockingly alberta hasn't no no we've loosened it so that everyone can do everything and keep passing it around like it's a baton <laughs> thank, thank you jason kenny jackass um 
but like yeah it's just i think we're gonna see maybe not a complete shutdown in in most cases of fans in arenas we'll probably see fewer especially in canada i mean we saw in the states they opened up to fans pretty quick was when they could and i don't know if that'll change for them but in canada i think we'll see half filled arenas outside of alberta or empty as in montreal so I think there's going to be things done come the new year to try to curb it, but you're right. It's not going to change anything. We've had players going in and out of protocol all season, but it hasn't hit like this. What was the stat? Like 15 or 20% 15%, of the league was in 15%. Yeah. It was in COVID protocol. So that's not good. Right. And, and it's in every sport. Like I, I want to have a little fun with this right now. Look at Kyrie Irving in the NBA. Yeah, not allowed to play. Owner like won't get vaccinated and publicly won't get vaccinated. Team pretty much gives him the big fu and says, "Okay, then sit out." Well, they they finally say because they're ravaged. Okay, Kyrie with injuries, you can play yeah. with injuries and COVID and, and Durant. They finally say, "Okay, Kyrie, you can play, but you can only play road games." And literally that day, he, he goes into protocol, and it's just like. Of course he did. Like, of course he did. It is just craziness right now. I can't. And you got I, the you got the what? whole other side of the 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 argument, and that's the National Football League, who are kind of like, what's COVID? Like, this doesn't yeah. exist, and they're COVID? like making, yeah, what? Like, huh? you know, I, I got the question that I, I wrote this down: Is money more important than safety in the NFL? Cat. Look at the Cleveland Browns right now. Like they their playoff lives are on their line and, and they're going to have to start a third string quarterback. Like is, is, does money trump everything in the NFL, Ken? Well, not yet. Cause Johnny Manziel hasn't been signed, but uh, yeah, like we talked about it. There was how many NFL games were there? We figured they would have just gone through and played regardless of any kind of restrictions. And they pretty much did last year, right? Like some had empty or limited, but as soon as they could, they threw it open to, you know, some teams took it more serious last season and had no fans. Seattle was one of them. Others just went, come on in, and they just let the registers rake it in. So, yeah, money, the NFL is a multi-billion dollar industry, as is NCAA. And you got 110,000 fans at a, a college football game all rushing the field afterwards, so... Yeah, money talks. Money will always trump everything else. But then I said it earlier, is the NFL actually onto something here going, eh, whatever, let's just play. These guys, they're professional athletes. They're all back. Like, I don't know. This is such a tightrope. It's craziness. Like the last yeah. week in professional sports has just been like this, whoa, what is going on? And as a pro sports fan, I am freaking out here because like, I love watching. I haven't got to watch a Flames game now in almost like it feels like two weeks. And there's problems in the NFL. There's problems in the NBA. Like the Raptors are only going to get to play to a half full building. And does that get shut down? Or do they just end up out on the road again for the rest of the year? Like there's yeah. so, if, it feels like we're back at March 2020 and it's just like, ah, oh, really? Like, well, I know. Like I, I'm going from watching my Canucks win six in a row after making these changes. And I'm excited, you know, I'm, I'm excited to watch Canuck hockey again. And the, the two games this weekend are postponed. And it's just, yeah, like, I, I'm, and I'm not 
selfish. I don't want to be like, I want to see hockey just play, but it's like, they got to take care of themselves. But yeah, it's, it, it's frustrating that we almost seem to be back to where we were almost two years ago. That's the frustrating part, just in general, that you do all this stuff to try and be safe, be healthy, not pass it or get it. And we're back to square one again at yeah. the holiday season again. So it's very frustrating. It's just kind of like, uh, there's just a real unknown right now. Um, something that isn't an unknown though in the world. And I do kind of want to talk about this very quickly. Urban Meyer. <laughs> we know he's been fired by the Jacksonville Jaguars. That he has. We, we know that that was a absolute tire fire. What did he end up winning? One game? Did he win two? two. I can't two. two games. Like there's questions as to whether he was going to win one. There's questions. Was he even going to make it to the end of this year? There's questions. Was he going to end up at USC and was he going to walk away? There was his sex scandal. There was players saying that they kicked him on the field. Like what a disaster. Like Ken, what's your take on the whole urban Meyer situation? I'm glad it's done. Like to me, and I've said this to you, I'm not an NCAA fan. I'm not, I'm not a guy that will watch and that's not because the product isn't good. The players aren't good. It's the NCAA feeds the NBA. It feeds NFL. It feeds the CFL, right? So it's a very good product. It's, a, it's producing good players. But the coaches get so much hype coming out of it. Outside of Pete Carroll, who took two turns to actually become a good NFL coach, very few coaches that come from the NCAA to the NFL are good or do anything of substance. So I'm glad it's over because it seems like he's only successful where he has total control over everything. And I think that's where the NCAA is also has its problems is these coaches control so much of a college player's life and future. Where in the NFL, if you try telling, uh, a six-year veteran, six-year Pro Bowl selected player that he's just going to tell you to F off. He's not scared of you. He, he and then knows. Urban Meyer kicks him. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, he kicked the kicker, right? <laughs> like, you want to show you, you how to kick. <laughs> yeah, you want to get into that game? The guy's a professional kicker. He could probably boot you 15 yards in the air. So it's, it's, it's insane. The Jags gave him a five-year, and it was never confirmed, 10 to $12 million contract. That is 50 to $60 million for a guy with no NFL track record. And you look at the NCAA, and the good teams are the good teams because they are in a division where they are always going to be the good teams, and they're playing teams that are not quite able to compete with them, with the recruitment and things like that. So it's always very set up for the – um ohio states and the arkansas and the oklahomas and the usc's to be the good powerhouse yeah and you're seeing it now a little bit of a side thing with the ncaa that the players can make money i think this is the first time they're saying that the transfer portal is absolutely insane why because the players know if they go and could be a star at a maybe smaller school they can get more money out of it their services will be paid for and teams are losing, and the, the big schools like Clemson are complaining because they've lost that edge that players can now go out and make money, and they don't need that exposure 
from just being at that school. Um, you got a quarterback with Trevor Lawrence pl- coming to the Jags through the draft and Urban couldn't get him over the top. And this guy is supposed to be a great coach. Well, is he though? Right? Like, I think he's just been thrown in that limelight and been around forever in the NCAA that it's allowed him to be looked upon that way. So you kind of you brought up an interesting point about kind of NCAA coaches through the history of sports in the NCAA. There's always been this luster around some famous coaches. There always has been coach K you got Rick Pitino, you got Tom Izzo, you got Urban Meyer, you got, I think there's always this lure around these like famous, famous coaches and look at what they did in the NCAA. And, and, and there it's, it's almost like they create these shrines to these coaches. And yet so many of them never do anything when they get to the professionals. It, it's, I think you're onto something when you said, well, I think it's because these guys are coaching in certain programs and it really has nothing to do with the coach. It's the program they're coaching in. And there was, uh, there was another recent NCAA uh, coach uh, this, uh, name slipped in my mind. I think he came in to coach the dolphins and it didn't work out. And it's like, this isn't the first time, like this whole urban Meyer thing, this isn't something new. They well, don't have the success in, in professional sports. Well, and you look at like a guy like Nick Saban, same thing. Great college. That's Saban's exactly who I was thinking of. Yeah. So it's, it's funny. Like these guys are set up, there's teams and like you take the New York Rangers, right? Like that is a, when you look at the NHL, that is a team that you would put in can probably say as an institution, right? Team players are going to want to go to the Rangers because it's the Rangers It's New York city. So you got to put a coach that's adequate in place and they'll win games, right? They'll have its up and downs like everything, but it's funny. I think it's like, take the, I know it's a movie and it's all fake, but is it really? It's probably based on something's varsity blues, right? You look at that high school mentality, that high school football is life. And the coaches that get paid stupid money in high school, there's a a high school in Texas that has 110,000 seat stadium for high school football the ncaa is just that on glue crack whatever you want to call it and amplified so much more i think it it really is is these guys have the the more of the institution of the university and the luster that goes with it that make them look like great quarterbacks plus you've also got some pretty rich backers paying the players to go another steve spurrier there's another name on the list yeah NCAA coaches that, that couldn't get it done in, in the NFL. It's it just, I, we actually they hadn't planned on talking about this. This, this kind of came out of nowhere, but it, it, it really is a thing. And, you know, Urban Meyer, let's go back to the original good riddance. I'm, yeah. I'm glad he's gone, especially when kind of some of the stories started to come out about, I don't want to call it player abuse, but the way he treated his fellow coaches, the players. I'm glad he's gone. Oh, he called no place, the, it calls no out the coaches. Yeah. yeah. Calls out the coaches and tells me, tell me what you've won. Dude, you're in the NFL now. What the hell have you won? Two games. Yeah. That's what you got. You have a two-game winning record as an NFL head coach. You have done nothing. And it's just, yeah, he was more of a distraction than everything else. And 
nine times out of a 10, when a coach gets fired, they still got to pay him their contract, except in his was if he's fired for cause, they don't got to pay him. And he was fired for cause. So he I is wonder not, if it's going to hold up. We'll see. Well, that, there may that's going to be a legal battle. That'll be a, quite the fight. But you're talking about a potential like, you know, sex scandal and berating his coaches, kicking players. Like, I just, I don't know. This would be a tough one for him. So good yeah. riddance. I'm glad Urban Meyer's out of the NFL. What a terrible tenure with Jacksonville. Let's hope that uh, for the, the Jaguars' sake, they can move forward. Maybe a new coach will get Trevor Lawrence going. But obviously that wasn't going to be Urban Meyer. And there was rumors from day one. He didn't want to be there. And he was trying to get back into the, the, the NCAA. Well, look at Harbaugh in Michigan. The guy makes more money coaching there than he did in the NFL. He signed a five-year, $50 million contract with Michigan when he first got there. You're paying an NCAA head coach 10 mil a season. It's crazy. It's just ludicrous. It's crazy. <laughs> well, Ken, we were going to talk some Major League Baseball, but I, I think we might have to shelve that for another week. Uh, the only thing I'm going to say quickly on major league baseball what's been the craziest signing so far like what what one has your what piece of baseball news so far this offseason as you shaking your head the most ah uh, well i mean not to, and i believe me if the jays had kept him i would have been you know happy that they did but the money like marcus simeon he got paid quite a bit by ever. the rangers but he's at an age where the length of that contract, he's, he's going to decline and he's going to be getting paid a lot of money. I would have loved to see him stay as a blue Jay at maybe high dollar shorter term. But to me, like they gave a, the Rangers gave a lot of money out to him and uh, Seager. Yeah. Oh, so. and you're talking half a billion dollars they spent on their shoring up their middle infield for the next seven years. They got one of the best for the next little bit. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. To me, the, the the craziest move so far or the one that I'd be scratching my head was Max Scherzer to the Mets, three years, 40 plus million dollars. Like for a guy who's 36, 37, like <laughs> ooh, you want to well, talk about That's per, isn't it? That's, 40 that's per. per. That's per. Yeah. Like this is, I think he was like a hundred and almost $30 million on three years. I was just like, wow. Yeah. It, there, there's uh I'm sure him and Buck Showalter will get along great yeah. <laughs> with the Mets. Oh, uh, like sure will tell Showalter to pound sand when he comes to take him out of the game in the fifth. <laughs> like, yeah. get, the, get the F away from me. So, I, way, I couldn't I couldn't figure out that one. That's a ton of money for a late 30s pitcher. He might have one good year. He might have two good years. He might have three good years. He also might have no good years left. Yeah. In, and you're paying him over $40 million. I don't know. It's it's insane. Just insane. I want to say there was one that I like surprisingly maybe good. And that's the Angels getting Noah Syndergaard on a one-year show-me deal. Lots uh, of rumors the Jays were involved. Yeah. There. Yeah. Hopefully. I mean, he, he was a Jay. Traded him for R.A. Dickey, so that worked out well. Um, yeah, I, I think that was actually one of a, a sneaky, maybe good one. Because Noah Syndergaard is a good pitcher. And if he just has to pitch, doesn't have to worry about hitting with the DH and the AL, that that could benefit him a lot. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. 
I'm fascinated to see where Freddie Freeman ends up. I know there's a lot of people north of the border like, come on, Freddie. I don't, uh, I don't see it happening, but I would, I would love Baker. it. I, yeah. I would love it too. I just don't see him leaving Atlanta. Why would you leave the World Series champs? Uh, Ricky Ray ended up with the Mariners, or not Ricky Ray, sorry, uh, Robbie <laughs> Ray. So I'm thinking CFL there for a second. That's that's a hell of a move. Yeah, I'll question yeah, Ricky that one Ray a little bit. The Mariners, holy. Yeah. He'll, he'll throw that good corner out, out pattern. A Robbie Ray to the Mariners. That one could, that's another potential, very high risk, high reward. I like it for the Mariners. That's a real hard, that's a pitcher's ballpark. And a guy with the stuff like Ricky, uh, Robbie Ray, Jesus, might uh, do really well there. But it, how much of it had to do with uh, the Blue Jays pitching coach and Robbie Ray's turnaround, Pete Walker? I, we shall see. Gossman coming into Toronto, like that to me, those are very offsetting moves. I actually feel like Toronto may have come out ahead on that one because I think there's a little more certainty around Gosman than Ray, but I'm fascinated to see what he can do with the Mariners. Yeah. And, and with, with Ray and, and Simeon, like those guys, they had good seasons with the Jays, but they had up and down seasons before that. Yes. Um, the, Simeon's last season in, but the A's wasn't so great, but the year before that, he was an MVP candidate. He finished third this year to um, Shohei Otani, who actually won it. Vladdy was second, should have been first, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think hopefully they can keep it going because you want to see those guys be successful, but you know, did they just catch lightning in a bottle with Toronto? We'll, we'll find it's out. It's very possible. Did- were they, did they get to be good players because they played on a good team? Time will tell on that one. Is, is Simeon going to see the dose of fastballs that he saw hitting in front of Bichette and Guerrero? Is he going to see that in Texas? I, who knows? Like, the, time will tell on those ones. But we'd love to hear from you guys on all of our takes. Urban Meyer, the NHL, what's, do you think the players go to the Olympics? CFL, that was a hell of a great cup. We want to hear from you guys. Reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at the BleacherCon one, and Ken is at the BleacherCon two, or on our Facebook page, the Bleacher Connection. Yeah, we want to thank everyone for uh, tuning in this week. We got a couple things planned for the coming weeks with uh, end of year shows of what's happened in 2021 and uh, what we'd like to see in 2022. So make sure to watch out for those ones. We want to thank everyone for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>